theyeshiva.net. So, dearest friends, tonight we have the privilege to be with someone who, Baruch Hashem, has his pulse on Am Yisrael. And I think Am Yisrael has their pulse on him, too. Uh, and it's really a great schus that we have this, especially on Zos Hanukkah. This is by us already in Eretz Yisrael, it's Zos Hanukkah. Wherever you are, it's Bechina Zos Hanukkah, whatever is going on. But it gives me like a, a tremendous sense of Hanukkah's Yemei Hoidah's day of saying thank you. I would just say thank you to the Chomi Sha'eski B'Tzorich Yitzibah Be'emunah. I want to thank all those that made tonight happen and specifically want to thank my dearest, dearest friends, the Golovensitz family, who have sponsored tonight's event, Le'ilui Nishmat, their precious son, the Gibor, David Golovensitz, Zechet Tzadik Livracha, whose Yorzeit, uh, whose birthday was during Hanukkah. And Tehen Ishmatot Surah uh, B'Tzorah Chaim. And it's just for us to be with you, Golovensis, it's Mishpacha. And we hope and pray that by next Hanukkah, or already maybe even by the end of Zeis Hanukkah, we'll all witness together with David, sing the Kohen, God, the light, the menorah, and the base of Migdash, because of Mamesh Kvar already tonight. It gives me great, great pleasure to introduce Am Yisrael's dear Chaver, Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. Can we hear? Can we hear? Okay, I want to make sure. Ah. I can hear you and see you beautifully. What about me? Can you see me and hear me? I can see you and hear you even when I'm not looking at a screen because I have your voice and your image in my... Uh... <laughs> shalom Aleichem, Rabbi Jacobson. How's your Hanukkah been? Aleichem Shalom, Rabbi Shleima. Shalom Aleichem to everybody, to you and to all of our participants today. It's a pleasure to be here with you and I send you all my love and blessings from Rockland County, New York, where we're just finishing a huge snowstorm and close to a foot of snow. So everybody is excited. <laughs> all right, thank you so much. The trek to Shul this morning was a very uh, intensive one. It's very precious to wake up in the morning and see the whole world bedecked in whiteness. And it brings me and I think many of us back to our you know, childlike and childhood memories of those snow days that we looked forward to so much in the United States of America. Well, my kinderloch is still dreaming about a, a, a Yerushalayim winter, a, a real snow. So maybe your energy will come up onto us, Be'ez Hashem. Global so. warming works in Israel, Miami, Los Angeles, <laughs> not New York. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I, I know that there are a bunch of things we want to discuss. There are a bunch of things we want to schmooze about. Um, I was just asked to sing one specific nigan to begin our Fabrengen. This has been uh, one of our favorites here in Eretz Yisrael. So, and I know you know this. This is the nigan of the Baal Shem Tov. So... Everyone, everyone, listen, we can't, we can't hear you, but we can see you. So we could check to see who's clapping or who's not clapping. That's what basically we can do. So in Hebrew, we always say, Yadayim Lemala. We, you know, not just when you're stopped by cops, but also just in general at concerts. Yadayim Lemala, lift up your hand, and let's give, give out rhythm, and let's usher in this yantiv of, of, of Zos Hanukkah. With the light of the Urshiva Sailing, the Baal Shem Tavakadosh. I 
I want to start, Rabbi Jacobson, I want to start, I want to start with like one very simple Shiloh, and then we'll get to, we'll get to something a bit more with, uh, you know, a bit more flesh, but we'll start with a little bit, a little, a little bit of easiness. The Shiloh that, um, that I have, this is what I have, and then we'll get to other Shilohs. I'm a Kohen, so I give myself Rishus to begin, to start first. At what point did you start believing in your own light? At what point did you start believing in the emuna that Hakadosh Baruch Hu has in you to be mashpia? You know, simple stuff. Nothing too, nothing too deep. If this is the simple question, what's the complicated question? <laughs> well, I see that you're assuming be'emuna pshuta that I believe in it, so I'm very thankful for that. But the truth is that. Uh, Part of my Yetzirah, and I think part of many of our Yetzirahs, is to doubt that light. There's a beautiful line from the Reb Tzadik HaKoyen of Lublin in the Sefer Tzidkas HaTzadik. I think it's section Kufnun Dalad, 154. And he says, and remember this was written in the 19th century. This is not 21st century psychology. 
And he writes, and I quote, I think almost verbatim, Keshem Sha Adam Tsarich Lahamin Bashem Yizbarich, Kach Tsarich Acha Kach Lahamin Baatzmai. Just as the basis of Judaism is that a person ought to believe and accept the reality of Hashem, believe in God, afterwards he must also believe in himself and realize that God's light is manifested through him. And it's really fascinating words because it's a challenge. It's a challenge for me and I think it's a challenge for many of us. So I don't know that I have a date that I say, ah, now I started to believe in my light. I think it's always work in progress. There's always a struggle involved. And it's really waking up in the morning and saying, You have given me a piece of you so that your light should be manifested today through me, despite the vicissitudes and despite the fluctuations. That's my simple brings answer. Me. Yeah, that's the my simple answer. That's my simple answer <laughs> to your simple question. Right, thank you. If you want more well, details, I can give you the number of my therapist. And you could find out exactly the date I started to believe in my light. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or my the wife. Or, or, or I could give you the number of my wife. I <laughs> thought that was the same person, but whatever. We'll, we'll leave that for another time. Um, so I. So this is another one. This is another one of Shaila's that I actually wanted to ask you. I only, I only had the privilege of. I, I bumped into you one time. I bumped into you one time. A number of years ago, I was in Pomo- I was going to Pomona for Shabbos, to the Chavrin Pomona. And Thursday night, I came in to play in a, a tent uh, in for- on Forche. Yeah, yeah, Forche. 18 Forche, I'm sure. Yeah. Forche. 18 Forche. Mamish, it was, it, was a, it was pouring like crazy wind. I, I'm from Los Angeles. When it drizzles Shabbos morning... It's like you know, everyone's staying at home, fear of a mabul, right? <laughs> right. So I thought no one was going to come to this thing Thursday night, but all the chevrit came. It was beautiful, and they said we have to learn Friday morning. We have to learn. So we they took me. They brought me to the shul to the minion in, in the, the following morning, and we were learning. And we were coming to the room that you were just finishing a shear in. And I wanted to ask you this then, but I want to ask you the following shaila even even so much more right now. And I have to give a bit of a preface. Last night, we ran a program with the Diaspora Yeshiva band. Do you remember them? Of course. You remember Diaspora Yeshiva? Yeah, they're the greats. Yeah. And what we did was we, we kind of brought them each back to the public eye. Many of them have not been in the public eye for a while because they really are pioneers. And their, their stamp on Am Yisrael is just so beautiful. And whoever has memories from those days is filled with nostalgia just by mentioning the name, the Asprey Yeshiva. Yeah, yeah. And whoever speaks about that Kufa speaks about that period of time separate and not the same as the period today. What am I referring to? When Avram Rosenblum, the leader of the band, was, was speaking about what it was like to do those Mulava Malkas on Hart Sion, and the Achtus and the hunger in the eyes of all those that came to participate. This is, this is Eretz Yisrael post-1967, post-1973. Avram Rosenblum said he has a kasha. He's going to have a kasha on Mashiach when Mashiach comes. He says, I don't know if it's blasphemy to say, but I'm going to ask him, what was missing back then? Why didn't you come then? That's part one of what I'm, what I'm trying to say. There was also a sense 
probably around Gimel Tammuz, 26 years ago. And maybe perhaps there was also some kind of hysteria, some kind of an awakening that, oh, 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 we're about to experience that which we've been dreaming for around the beginning of this current crisis, Pesach time, yeah. Leil Seben. Yeah. And so many beautiful, beautiful nishamas are literally standing on the threshold of Kimechakim, and we're waiting. We're waiting. But it doesn't seem to be, I don't mean to Khalila be a downer, this is just an upper, this is Leman, Leman Yilmedu, so that we learn together. And this is really the heart of what I want to ask. Do you, what do you think needs to happen in the Klal of Am Yisrael today to get a renewed sense of anticipation for the Geula? Okay. A very beautiful and powerful question. And I'm glad you're not calling this a light, a light question. <laughs> and maybe the second question and the first question are not so disconnected. Because there's two components to Geula. There's the component to Geula that we know very little about. Certainly I know very little about. And that's the component, you know, the exact date, when it's going to happen, how exactly it's going to happen. That the master of the world, the creator of the world, who created this whole, I don't want to say the whole mess in the first place, but created the whole universe and is ultimately responsible for everything. For Golos and Geula, for Churban and Binyan, for darkness and light. But it follows. So ultimately, you know, Hashem will decide what to do, when to do, how to do. And as one of the great masters said, those who know don't say, and those who say usually don't know. So I think that's a certain component of humility that everybody has to have, you know. When people start giving dates, and I know it's going to be this time and not this time, and it... You know, even the greatest of the great were very, very careful and cautious. Uh, you know, I grew up by a Rebbe who did not stop talking about Mashiach, but uh, he never, ever was so careful about dates and uh, trespassing, you know, crossing over boundaries that no human being knows. You can ask, you can daven, you hope, you pray, you believe, but there's a certain humility that we have in the sense that God runs the world not me and not you, and uh, we're partners, but ultimately we don't control everything. That's number one. But here we come to the second point, which I think is equally important and maybe more important, and that is the consciousness. What is Gula? What is Mashiach? What is it? What's the world going to look like? Often we think of it in very abstract and transcendent and supernatural terms. But the real point of Geula is a transformation of consciousness in which we really begin to experience the oneness of humanity, the harmony of existence, the unity within ourselves, and the fact that each and every single one of us is the light of infinity in this world. Which doesn't mean that we're perfect and we don't have challenges and we don't have issues to work through, but it means that at my core, I'm never a victim. At my core, I am a piece of Hashem sent down into this world to light up the world. That recognition is the Geula recognition of Ein Oid Mulvadeh. That each and every one of us is just an aspect of divine light, 
an aspect of infinity. If you wish, each and every one of us is a Hanukkah candle. That's who I am. And in every situation that I face, all circumstances that I face, adversity, challenges, maybe in my marriage, maybe in my family, maybe my mental health, maybe physical health, every single challenge that each and every one of us faces, there is the Gullus approach and the Gula approach. The Gullus approach is, I'm a victim. The Gula approach is, I was sent here on a shlichut, like Yosef says this week, next week. I was sent, I was thrown into a pit. But sometimes you feel like in life that you're in a pit and you were buried. Yosef says you weren't buried, you were planted. You weren't buried, you were planted. It makes all the difference. That's the Geula consciousness. Like it says in Medrash, Geula is exile, Geula is redemption. The difference is one letter, Aleph. The circumstances may be identical, but in Geula there's an Aleph. There's a recognition that I am one with the source of life. I am never separated. I am never detached. I am never disconnected. And therefore I must never despair or surrender to mediocrity. I am always one with the source of one. Lemeheve echad be'echad, as the Zayar says. I am one with the source of oneness. And as a one who is connected with the source of oneness, I am sent down into every place and every region and every circumstance and every reality to bring the infinite light and reveal the opportunity there. Living with this consciousness, this is called living with Geula, and that's our responsibility. To worry about and to ask when Hashem is going to bring the actual Geula and the full revelation of Mashiach, I don't know, but what I do know is that Hashem has now opened us all, opened all of us up and all of humanity up to the opportunity to start living with that light and with that energy. This we can do. This we don't have to wait for anybody. And we shouldn't wait for anybody because we're forfeiting the historic opportunity. Mashiach is not just some, you know, flying luxury kugel eater that comes down from heaven. Mashiach is when you and I and every one of us opens our hearts, opens our minds for real, very, very deep way, and we allow ourselves to become conduits of infinity, we bring the light of Mashiach into our lives. And when I do it in my life, you do it in your life, we do it in our lives, that light grows and grows and grows, and it lights up the world. And I believe that is our mission today, and I think since the corona pandemic, the momentum and the opportunity for this has only only increased. And can we sit and ask questions? Why didn't it happen in 94? And why didn't it happen at Pesach? And why didn't it happen in 1944? We can ask questions, and some questions we have answers, most questions we don't have answers. But I think questions should never deter us from understanding our mission statement and our power. And there is unbelievable power now. Everywhere you go, You know, anyone who has their pulse, their finger on the pulse of the people, on the nation, in Israel, outside of Israel, Jews, the non-Jews, there is a unique openness today in people's hearts. We have been humbled. We have been made vulnerable. And as the Balatanya says, the reason people are humbled in life is not to punish them. It's to open them up to infinity, to open them up to a broader perspective. That's the situation now. And we, I think, every one of us must seize the moment, as they say in Latin, carpe diem, seize the day, seize the moment. 
because these moments don't come around often. And turn your life into a menorah, into a source of love and light and hope and healing. And don't think you have to get from everybody. You're looking for love? Become the source of love. When people see you in the supermarket, in shul, in Beis Medrash, in Koylil, in your home, in your street, wherever it is, in school, in your workplace, based, of course, on the guidelines of health officials, wherever people see you, they should right away look at your face and say, there's a source of love. There's a source of light. There's a source of infinity. There's a source of healing. Well, a Shaila just came in that I'll go to now because it has to tie in with this. Is that what you said? This is the Shaila. Is this what Rabbi Jacobson sensed when he was in the presence of the Lubavitcher Rebbe? That's a beautiful question. And I'll respond with a resounding yes. The, 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 the conscious, this was the consciousness that one, I can't speak about everybody, but that one often, and I often felt in his presence, there was a certain sense of two things. Number one, the Rebbe would not recognize and acknowledge mediocrity in people. He just didn't register in him. He just, he like saw people and he just saw something infinite. And when you were in his presence enough, you started to believe it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You started to believe it. Maybe not always. As I said before, the Yitzhahara doesn't want you to believe it. Yitzhahara wants you to believe that you're limited, you're restricted, you're a traumatized, abused, scarred, wounded victim. And we may be scarred. Some of us are very scarred. Some of us have a lot of scars to deal with. And you have to empathize with yourself and with others and acknowledge it. But don't allow you to be defined by your scars. So that was the first thing that the Rebbe really, he, he saw in people the light of Ein Saif. And he really, and he really believed it. It wasn't like, you know, dramatic and fanfare and shtick. It was, it was very real. It was very internalized, very authentic. That's number one. And number two, the Rebbe could not, um, as a result of that, he also felt that every single person can have a tremendous impact and can make very, very big difference, not only in his or her life, but in their environment, in their community, in the world. And he empowered, he empowered a generation of people that way. And you see the effects till today. It's almost three decades after his passing. You see the effects. I don't know. I had yesterday, I got a WhatsApp from a cousin of mine. Really, and it's just incredible. I have a cousin. His name is Yerachmiel Garelik. He is a Chabad Shliach in Tuman, Siberia. That's Western Siberia. He's building a mikveh there now because his wife and other women who started to use the mikveh have to fly four hours each direction. So he's, built, he's finishing his mikveh. But for Hanukkah, he built a beautiful menorah from ice. In Siberia, you build a menorah not of wood. You build a menorah out of ice because there's no shortage. You don't have to pay for ice in Siberia. It's not like here you go to the store, you buy ice. A menorah 14 feet, two and a half tons. Beautiful big menorah. I saw a video of it. And he lit the menorah the first night of Hanukkah in Tumen, Siberia, with his family and community, wearing masks. It was broadcast on Israel, in Israel's television, the famous show of Amnon Levi, who broadcast it live. And he made the blessings there. And he made the blessings on the menorah. And then Amnon Levi in Israel, who broadcast it on national TV, says, 
what's your feeling of lighting the menorah in Siberia from ice? And he says, when I was sent as a shliach to Siberia, I was told that my mission is to melt the ice in Siberia with the warmth of Yiddishkeit. But today I understand my mission differently. It's not to melt the ice. It's to take the ice and transform it into a menorah. To utilize the ice itself as a springboard for spiritual light and spiritual warmth. And I thought, what? Are, see, that's Gu'ula thinking. There's Gullah's thinking and Gu'ula thinking. So I wrote him a text. He's a cousin of mine. I sent him a WhatsApp. I said, Ata Yoshev bituman, aval ha'or shalcha mechamem kol ha'aretz. You're sitting in a little fahak that nobody ever heard of Tuman, most of you, I assume. You're sitting in a little, one of the most remote corners of the world. Yeah. It's northern Russia, Siberia. One of the most coldest regions in the world. Consistently 10 below zero. Sitting there with your family, lighting your menorah. But you lit up the whole Israel, you lit up the whole Jewish world because it was broadcast everywhere. Not only that, I assume that hundreds of Jews went to light the menorah in Israel because of you, because he told everybody, I'm lighting a menorah in Siberia, go light your menorah in Israel. And it was on, on national TV. But listen to this, Zipschleimer, the next morning, he tells me the next morning, he gets a call. The Protestant priest of the city says, Rabbi, I want to meet you. Great, we're at the menorah. He is the main priest, the chief priest of the city. They come to the menorah, the ice menorah, outdoors, 10 below zero. They're bundled up. The priest goes over to the menorah and goes like this. He kisses it. Rabbi Garelik says, what's this? He says, this menorah also belongs to me. You see, my grandmother, my mother's mother was Jewish. My mother was Jewish. I'm a Jewish boy. Last night I saw they broadcasted you lighting the menorah here and my memory of being a Jewish boy came out and I wanted to meet you and introduce myself to you as a fellow Jew. So here you have a shliach in the coldest, most remote region in the world lighting a menorah of ice and yet... Because he knows that his mission is Ein Oid Malvade, to reveal light everywhere, look how many hearts and souls get triggered. That's a mission that's related to every single person, each in our own way. But the condition for that is, we have to get rid of our inner toxic thoughts that don't allow us to see ourselves that way. I WhatsApped him back, this Rabbi Garelik, and I said, Rabbi Garelik, how did you manage to impress the secular Israeli who was broadcasting it? I saw he was inspired, and it's not easy to inspire, you know, real secular left-wing Israelis. They're not so easy to inspire. They know it all. And he writes to me back on WhatsApp. He says, because in Siberia, there's no cynicism. All the layers get peeled away, and the truth remains, and it affects people. He said, in Israel, many people survive only through cynicism. But in Siberia, if you have even an ounce of cynicism, you will not survive. There's all cynicism goes away, because there's no reason to live there if you're cynical. And when people feel that, they melt. 
what a story because I, I know Amnon Levy is a tough cookie. Yes, and this happened this, this Hanukkah 2020, and you had to see Amnon wow. Levy is sitting there, and you could see the ice in his heart is melting, Shh. is melting. And, and, and the Rabbi Garelik doesn't call him Amnon, he calls him Reb Amnon. And he says, Reb Amnon, I want to tell you that in your schus, Klau Yisrael is lighting the menorah tonight. Amnon Levy says, my schus, it's you, it's not me. He says, no, 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 I'm lighting it, you're broadcasting it. And then he says, Reb Amnon, I'm going to make the brachas, make sure to say Amen. So Amnon Levy, what is he going to tell the shleich in Siberia? I'm not going to say Amen, ki ata charedi, ki ata dati, ki ata lo mersharet b'tzava, ki ata parazit, ki ata zeh, ki ata zeh, meyaj. What is he going to do? What are you going to tell the Chabad shleich in Siberia who gave his life to ignite souls? There are thousands of Jews in Siberia, thousands. And because of him and his wife, they have a Jewish school. They have Jewish observance. They have Jewish life. They have Chagim. It's amazing. You can't be cynical to such people. What are you going to tell them? That they're Haredim who are living off, living off the money of the secular and not paying taxes and not serving in the army. You know what I mean? It, 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 it melts away. The love, the love comes out. So Amnon Levy is sitting on television and he's saying, Amen, 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 Amen. And I thought to myself, I don't know what's a bigger Chiddush. Lighting the menorah in Siberia or lighting up the neshama of, 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 of this Israeli television producer. Now what happens is, it, it gets better. When Amnon Levy heard the story with the priest, the next night he had him back on, back on again, national television. And he says, well, this is like incredible. When he says that the priest kissed the menorah. Amnon Levi melted. You know, I'm not sure when was the last time he would kiss a menorah, or any Jew in Israel would kiss a menorah. Enough with your menorahs. Enough with your menorahs. Imadat shalchan this. But it, it brings out a, a much deeper and more more beautiful uh, layer. So that was, uh, that's very inspiring. And I, I, I think, you know, all of us could learn from this. You live in Israel. We meet people. When you live life with a certain consciousness, you bring out the best in people. You bring out the most beautiful, but the only condition is you cannot be cynical and you cannot surrender and stoop down to the darker places of human behavior. You have to remain anchored in infinity. And then when you see a Jew or any person, you bring out the infinity in them. Now it's not easy because our neural pathways become judgmental. Who are you? And I have to defend me. We become defensive. We become dismissive. We become judgmental. We become critical. In Siberia, if you're judgmental and critical and defensive and cynical, you've got nothing to do there. Pack your bags and go. Go to Meir Sharim. Go to Bnei Brak. Go, go to Kfar Chabad. Go to, go to Kiryat Sefer. You know, go, hang out with your buddies there and eat latkes and make fun of the world. But it teaches all of us a way of life that I think is the light of the Geula that Hashem wants us to bring in to the world now. <laughs> Ask one follow-up question on this. I think this can help a lot of people, and I think it'll help me as well. And, and Hevra, I'm sorry, patience, everyone, that the questions are pounding in. We'll get to as many as we can. But I thank you so much for asking. Right, Rabbi Jacobson. Uh, what's his name? Isidore Ruby. Was that the name of the? Isidore Rabi, the Nobel Prize winner. His Isidore mother Rabi. asked him. 
Did you it's ask great the question. When he won, when he won the Nobel Prize, they asked him, "How does a Jewish kid rise to such heights in scientific work and progress?" And he said, "We all came home from school, and all the mothers asked the kids." What did you learn today in school? My mother never asked me that question. Her question was, Isidore, did you ask a good question today in school? And she said, that made the Nobel Prize winner. So, Hever, you're, you're, you're doing good because there's a lot of phenomenal questions, but I have one follow-up over here. <laughs> uh, 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 one follow-up. It seems to me that regarding a many different areas of discussions, people fall into cynicism almost by default. Cynicism and sarcasm, very fast, uh, subconsciously even. I don't even. I don't think it's conscious even. No, no, no. I think it's the, the default. What's the root of that, and how do we how do we rid ourselves of that? Is the best of our ability. I think the I, what I find is that the root of it is fear and pain, and that's why I don't judge it. When you see the fear and the pain behind it, you can have compassion for it. One of the most beautiful teachings of the Balatanya that pervades all of his svarim, especially Torah and Lakota Torah. It's already in his Tanya in chapter 46. Is that one of the most important midas to develop in life is midas harachamim, the attribute of compassion. Compassion on what? Compassion on your own traumas, on your own pain, on your own anger. And compassion on other people's traumas. When I see cynicism and sarcasm in myself or in others, instead of judging it, have compassion. There's a lot of fear behind it. People are sarcastic because they're afraid. They're cynical because they don't want to get backstabbed. If I am present in a relationship, if I'm there with all my heart and all my soul, I'm vulnerable. You can hurt me. You can stab me. You can dismiss me. I can get hurt again. So some of us just build this very thick wall around us. We put on a bulletproof vest. And we walk around with a bulletproof vest. You ever see how people walk around? When I sometimes get up at a lecture, I'm speaking, there's 2,000 people before Corona, and everybody, you know, they sit like this. And I say, let me tell you what my personal challenge now is. I want that in the next 20 minutes, I should get you from like this, this posture, to like, to like this. You think I'll be able to do it. And they're all smiling. I said, why are you all sitting like this? This means, Rabbi Y.Y., don't get too close. <laughs> You're not getting too close. I have heard everything. I'm here because my wife slept me here because she said that you're funny. But I've heard everything. We went to marriage therapy. You're not getting too close. Now, I understand it. We become defensive. I also become defensive. Cynicism and sarcasm is the way that we people who are, who are controlled by fear by shame and by pain. It's a survival skill not to be disappointed again. The problem is that what we need most is connection. We need attachment. We need faith. We need love. The greatest disorder today is attachment disorder. People don't feel attached. The first thing in the Torah that Hashem says is not good, He doesn't say murder or idolatry or adultery. The first thing he says is not good is lo tov heyota adam levado. We cannot be detached. Everybody needs attachment. Even if you're a bookworm and a hermit and an introvert and you don't like parties and you don't like people and you love staying at home and reading and thinking and you still need attachment. Attachment is the DNA of the universe because we're all attached. And when we feel detached, 
it's very painful. And we, so what do we do? We make ourselves more detached. What we need is people who will say, you don't have to be cynical. I'm not going to hurt you. You don't have to be sarcastic. I'm not one of those people who's going to use you. And when people live that way, people can melt away and their ice melts and their menorah comes out. So I want to, on that note, I want to sing a niggin for you. When you brought up Siberia and the the cold, saying brachas in the cold, this is a niggin that came down when we were visiting our chevrik here. We go, we used to, at least when the, before the epidemic began, before the pandemic began, we spent a lot of time in Ukraine. And with many, many, many hours on the bus, when you, when you go from Medjbish to, to Hadich, you're on the bus for, for quite some time. One of the stops that we, that we started doing a few years ago is Annapoli. And it's so, uh, uh, have you been there to Annapoli? So you know, so you have the, the picture of it. And this, is, this was winter. It was about 4.30 p.m., maybe 5 p.m., but it seemed like midnight, pitch black, freezing, raining. I can't go inside. And the whole place is, you know, it's not exactly Kohen uh, friendly, at least in Olamazen. And um, I was outside. It's pouring. My chaverim are inside. I hear them shying a gavalt by the, by the kvarim of the magid and the bezushin. So I was a little chutzpahdik. I said to the bonshtelem, this really bites. I, 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 you got to give me something. So this is a nigan that uh, came down right then and there. And we call it nigan Anapoli. And I'm inviting all our chaver that are listening, that are davening with us right now, that are drinking in every word you've been hearing, to please daven with us right now with this nigan. Nigan Anapoli. Okay, to all the chevra on Zoom, we can see you. Those of you that open your cameras, we want to see clapping, we want to see dancing, even smiles. And to those chavar that are watching us on Facebook and YouTube right now, or will be listening to us later on the podcast, give us everything you have. Oh, 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 oh,
Once again, wherever you are, we thank all the sponsors for this whole program throughout all these eight days, specifically tonight, the Golovensitz family. We thank you so much. And we're thankful for each person that's been partnering with us, giving us every little bit of help spiritually and financially. It, it truly helps us just to continue weiter without trying to break our heads too much, but to keep on going strong. So all your help really, really does go a very long way. We thank you very, very much. So I, I had mentioned, when we spoke a few weeks ago, I had mentioned that I was privileged when I was growing up in Los Angeles to have a mashpia, my first mashpia. And that was Rip Shlema Schwartz, Oliver Shalom, Schwartzy in Los Angeles. Those of you that knew Schwartzy, you were blessed to taste a shtickel, a shtickel, uh, what would you say? A shtickel, emes dickel simcha. One thing I learned from, from, from Schwartzy was that the whole concept of denominations is just like, it, it's, it's, it's pasnished, like for real. You know, usually people that like want to sound that they're very open. So they first, the first thing is they start, when they start speaking, they say, I'm still not into labels. And, and they're Dafka more labeled than, than, than anyone else in the, in the, in the, in the ballgame. But one of the questions that came in reminded me of Schwartzy. So I'm just going to take it from the other screen over here. And this is a this is a this is a strong one, uh, dear Rabbi Katz. If you could please ask Rabbi Jacobson the following question: I was recently invited to participate in a program that said that it was including all types of Jews as we were preparing for receiving the Torah. A pasuk was used to reference the gathering, the famous pasuk of everyone camped together, or something of that sort, like one person in one heart. As I entered the online virtual event, I didn't understand because all the different types of teachers, even though some were female, thank God, it was written over here, all the teachers were all coming from the Orthodox denomination. What I'm trying to understand is, could it be that we're reaching an era that the gates must be open to hear everyone's passion? And then there's one more line here that I'm not going to say because it might, it might give it away who this person is, and I, I'd rather keep it, keep it like this. Uh, this is a Shaila that triggers my heart in such a profound way, and I would love to hear uh, what your thoughts are on this. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful question, a very good question, a very, very relevant and really very contemporary question. And I think there are two components here that both have to be emphasized and emphasized strongly and with a real broad understanding. You are a thousand, not a hundred percent right, you're a thousand percent right. We are living in a time when we have to hear everybody's voice and the passion within every heart and soul. We have to remember that the Medrash says, God said, if one Jew would have not been at Mount Sinai, the Torah could have not been given. That means... You can have Moses, you can have Aaron, you can have all the Hasidim, <laughs> you can have all the Litvaks, you can have all the Yeshivas, all the Kailalim, all the Rebbes, all the wonderful, wonderful people, good Jews. But one Jew in San Francisco or in Los Angeles, not only Rabbi Katz, also other Jews in Los Angeles, yeah, or in Eilat, or in Muncie, 
or anywhere else in the world, in Tumon, Siberia, or in Hawaii, and that Jew would have not been at Mount Sinai, the Torah could have not been given. And we live in that time, we live in that time where this must be discussed, taught, and lived with. We have it in the Torah scroll. If one letter is missing, the whole Torah scroll is not valid, it's invalid. You have everything there, one little letter. It's a letter of a word that's inconsequential. Va'achois loitan timna. You know, the test of Loitan. Nobody even knows that Pasuk. The sister of Loitan is Timna. Some verse in Vayishlach. The Rambam writes, there's no difference between that verse and Anoichi Hashem I am your God. Every letter in the Torah scroll is not only sacred, it's also indispensable to the full symphony. And that is an absolute given. It's one of the great teachings that inspired me when I was growing up, and I think a fundamental truth in Judaism, to be open to every voice, every heart, every soul, to understand every soul has a unique contribution to make. Also, not to be judgmental of people, to understand everybody has their journey, and also to remember that nobody knows the quality of souls. This Jew may be called this Jew may be called reformed, conservative, orthodox, secular, reconstructionist, renewal, chabura, bagel and lax Jew, spiritual but not religious, physical but not religious, very orthodox. Those are all important. May be interesting and it can trigger interesting discussions. But in terms of a neshama of a soul. We never know the depth of a soul. We never know the greatness of a soul. We never judge souls. The moment you can identify people from that perspective, there is a deeper level of unity. That's point number one, which I can elaborate upon for a few days with you, but I think you got the point, and I say this with strong conviction and faith. Now there's another component, and the two do not cancel each other, and when we live in immaturity, it becomes mutually exclusive. When we live in a broader world, we can appreciate what I said, and now please appreciate what I'm going to say now, my second point. My second point is, how do we define Judaism? What is Judaism? I was speaking, I was interviewed by American Jewish University just a few weeks ago, which is a very famous university from the conservative movement. And the lady... The spiritual leader, her name is a friend of mine, her name is Shelley Hirsch, wonderful, wonderful person in the conservative movement. She interviewed me. We should actually get it out there. I think it'll be of interest to you. The title was, the, the she, she chose it, The Secrets of Chabad. She wanted to understand how Chabad works. Fine. But then she asked me, if you could speak to all reform rabbis and all conservative rabbis today, what would you tell them? I didn't expect the questions. I didn't have a week to prepare. Question. If I give you an opportunity to every reform rabbi, and maybe she was asking a practical question. Maybe I'll have that opportunity. I don't know. There were quite a few reform rabbis and conservative rabbis, but she said, if you could speak to every one of them, I'll bring them all into a room, theoretically, Zoom, right? You'll have a big Zoom, and you could speak. What would you tell them? Good question, right, Epshleimer? So, uh, you know, these are the moments, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I never thought of this. I speak to everyone from, it was on the spot, and you know, everybody's waiting. It was a live webinar, there's a thousand people. So it was just a plan that God sent in. I said, I would look at all of them, and I'd say, my dearest brothers and my dearest sisters, I want to ask you one favor, and that is, do not dumb down Judaism anymore, even with the most noble of intentions. I want you to trust your constituents that they are intelligent enough and they will choose 
what they feel ready for, but you don't have to dumb down anything. Give them everything. Give them the whole roster. Give them a display of everything. Believe in their intelligence. Believe in their souls. Believe in their ability to make choices and in their convictions. And believe in their passions and their desire for truth and not compromises. So I say, number one, don't dumb down anything. Allow everyone access to the whole Torah. That's number one. Number two, I would say to them is, let's stop defining ourselves as Reform, Conservative, Orthodox, because all it does is it keeps us stuck. Instead, I have a new label for all of us, and the new label for all of us is the possible Jew. And the possible Jew is, what can I do tomorrow in order to grow to a deeper place in my consciousness than today? I said, when I call myself Reform, Conservative, Orthodox, Ultra-Orthodox, Hasidic, Non-Hasidic, I remain stuck why do that to anybody? There is infinite opportunity. Let us allow everybody to continue growing because everybody, everybody has to grow. And here is where the, I think, and this is where the second point comes in. And that is, is there something called authentic Yiddishkeit? And there is a fundamental, there's a, there's a fundamental disagreement. And I say this with full respect to different opinions. And that is, there's one perspective that says that the Torah is authentic. It's God's blueprint for life, and it includes 613 mitzvahs. There were certain movements and leaders, probably for good reasons, who at some point thought, let's cut out some of them or ignore some of them. Why? Because they wanted to save the Jewish youth. And I was telling them in that message, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to do that. Give, let everybody know everything, and then they can choose. Not everybody will choose everything. So I think these are two points that are extremely, extremely important, and they do not cancel out each other. So I don't know about that particular event, but I do understand that there is a fundamental disagreement between people who may, with good intentions, say, you know what, we don't believe that the Torah is so real, we believe that you could change some mitzvahs, you can cancel some mitzvahs, and I, 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 will, not, I will never, ever judge anybody else. But it's not fair to ask a Jew who thinks that the whole Torah is divine, to embrace another view and say that is equally valid. Because it's like saying, I'm married to my wife, but I'm not really married to my wife. That doesn't make sense. Um, Judaism is real for me. I am married to it, but I'm not really married to it. At some point, we really have to make a, a decision whether we embrace it or we don't embrace it. And therefore, sometimes to embrace two opposite views, it's nice academically, but in practical Jewish life, the two become mutually mutually exclusive. Thank you so much for that. Um, Rabbi Jacobson, once you've finished all your Avodah Sakodesh in Chutzlart, where will you move to in Eretz Yisrael? Oh wow, that's that's a, that's a beautiful question. So the truth is, whenever I come visiting Eretz Yisrael, and before Corona, it was not very seldom. It was pretty frequent, not as much frequent. And I would I traveled a lot. I would always, always every visit fall in love, fall in love with another place. You know, I remember once I visited Itamar and Yitzhar, and I fell in love with 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 this. I said, oh, this is the place to live. And then I visited Bat Ayin and I fell in love there. And then you go visit Yerushalayim and the various neighborhoods of Yerushalayim. So I don't know, I guess where Hashem uh, wants me to live, I'll live. But Eretz Yisrael is, uh, 
You know, there is, uh, the whole Eretz Yisrael is just defined, as the Gemara says, Gushav Avira. The Avir, the Avir of Eretz Yisrael is holy, so wherever uh, God allows me to be, I'll, I'll breathe in the air and I'll feel privileged. <laughs> okay, here's a, here's a, a heavy Shaila, a good Shaila. Rabbi, I've heard you speak on many topics, but I've not heard you give chizuk to all the many singles who have not as yet found their soulmate. Perhaps you did, I just didn't hear it. What I would actually love to hear is your perspective on why it's why it is that Hashem put such an isayan on older singles and their parents. What's their tafkid and their hishtadlus? Wow, that's a that's a it's a very heavy question. And uh, to give a very, I mean, this really deserves, as you said, a shear or a few shear, but just to give a, a very brief two-minute answer, I think it's important to emphasize two things. Number one, God forbid to ever entertain the idea that somebody who's single is somehow blemished or flawed or, uh, you know, a misfit and they have to feel embarrassed and unworthy and inadequate Every single soul has a shlichus at every single point of its life. And nobody should ever look at their life as a single and say, okay, now I'm not really alive. When I get married, I'll start living. That's not the way to live. Every moment has infinite potential. And if you're alive right now as a single, maximize it with gusto and with passion. Yes, of course, you want to get married and God willing, you should find your ziv and get married and build a beautiful family. But till that point, we don't believe, you know, there's space A and then there's space B and the journey in between is just like a random mistake and we have no choice, so we have to do it begrudgingly. If this is part of your journey, then the journey is your destination. So I think it's so important to cultivate that approach. I may want to move next year. I may want to, my children to grow up. A couple is waiting to have a child. I may want my business to grow significantly, etc. These are great goals. But the worst thing is when I take my goals for the future and I cause them to paralyze me in the present. That's such an important line, I'm going to say it again. When my goals in the future cause me to become paralyzed in the present. Yes, I want to get married. You want to get married. And you do whatever you can according to Derech HaTeva, to the laws of nature, to be able to find a wonderful soulmate. But never ever should you look in the mirror and say, now my life is just wasted. There's no Shabbos, there's no Yom Tif, there's no nightlife, there's no morning life, I feel empty, I feel like a Shmata. That approach is not a Jewish approach. You know, we mention God, 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 Hashem until it comes to the, to the, to my own life. If I am right now single, it means that right here lay incredible opportunities for me. Maybe opportunities to grow, opportunities to learn, opportunities to connect to myself in a deeper way, opportunities to develop deep empathy, opportunities to live my own life to the fullest. Flex your muscles, believe in yourself. You're an incredible soul. When you get married, that's going to be amazing. But before you get married, you're still amazing. And you could live a wonderful and extraordinary life. There may be, yes, you may be longing, you may be yearning, and you should try to do whatever you can. But don't, God forbid, dismiss your present life as valueless and as as inconsequential. I think that that's a mistake. The fact that sometimes our society makes people feel that way, that's our shortcomings. 
because we're not living with real infinite consciousness. When we are, we don't have that attitude. And don't let you define yourself by other people's shortcomings. want to say uh, that that's that's one that's probably the most uh profound answer to this shayla i've ever heard so i thank you so much for that i'm, I'm married with four kids but it, it's it's shy to anyone it's not just people that are single it's that line i just want you to repeat it again if you don't mind when my plans for the future paralyze my my present is that what it, what it was yeah when my plans for my future paralyze me in the present, then I'm, I'm not in touch with the whole, with the energy of life, with, with the energy of life. The energy of life is the Baal Shem Tev taught, and it's one of his most amazing and beautiful teachings. Really, it says in Medrash and Tehillim, but he really explained it, that creation happens every moment anew. We say it in the morning in Davening, HaMechadesh Betuvo, Every day and every moment, creation is renewed. Why? Why couldn't God just create the world five, seven, eight, one years ago, you know, and wind the clock and say, goodbye, Chevre, if you need me, call me. <laughs> I'm taking a nap. No, says the Baal Shem Tev, Hashem recreates the world every moment. I'll tell you why. To teach us that life is always about the present. It's always about living in the now, with the now, in the moment. Of course, we learn from the past, we hope and prepare for the future, but life is always about what is happening right now, right here. There's a beautiful slonim revert. Yeah, I know it's not Pesach yet, but from Hanukkah we get ready for all the Yamam Tov. There's a beautiful slonim revert. He's a Bavram of Slonim. So as we say in the Haggadah, Mitchila Literally it means, in the beginning, in the past, our forefathers were idol worshippers. And now, God brought us close to His service. He said as follows, There are two philosophies in life. One philosophy in life is Mitchila. Everything was... All glory was in the past. Mitchila, it used to be. He says, That is a perspective of idolatry. And then there's a consciousness of achshav. Everything is happening right now. Now you know that you're in the presence of God. What does it mean to have a relationship with God? It means that you're living in achshav. Right here, right now. Who is the most important person? you'll ever meet in your life, friends, it's the person you're speaking to right now. What is the most powerful and interesting place you'll ever visit in your life? It's the place where you are right now. And what's the greatest moment in your life? The moment you are breathing in right now. Hashem tells Moshe, You have to learn that the place on which you're standing is sacred soil. This is the core of life from a Jewish perspective. Reality is happening right now in the moment. And if I'm not living in the moment, if I'm living in yesterday or in tomorrow, I am misaligned with the heartbeat of creation. You know when you're marching to the wrong beat? If you want to be aligned with the heartbeat of the cosmos, it's always about right now. 
reality is happening now. Yes, learn from the past, of course. Prepare for the future. But don't live in the past and don't live in the future. Live here right now. What does the Rebbein Shalom want from me right now? Right now, I'm a conduit for infinite light. But for this, I have to go away from my ego, from my trauma, from my toxicity, from my insecurity, and from my cynicism. Because that takes me to the past. I say, right now, I, Rabbi YY, or you, Rabbi Schleimer, or all of you here, my dear brothers and sisters, you are a conduit for the light of infinity. What is it that Hashem wants to now shine into the world? That's the question. That's the most important question. Right now, He wants to shine light into the world. Love. What is it right now? Okay, so I, I can't believe I'm going to have the hooks but asking the following question, but because it, it came from a few different, uh, different sources, and it really is one of my questions. It'll be like this forever, I think. I have to ask you, the gates are open. It's Zeus Hanukkah, and we're, we're just trying to, to get close to Hashem and to ourselves. So I want to ask you like this, and Mechila, from those that sent me different variations of this question, I hope I represent you all, all uh, bechovad with asking the following Shaila. Those of us that did not grow up Lubavitch, even if we did, but those of us that did not grow up necessarily Lubavitch, and at one point in life, when we heard that nigun, or learned that vort, or started thinking about things a little bit deeper, and suddenly began to inhale the air of the Alter Rebbe. But also are inhaling the air of Reb Nachman. And are also, you mentioned the base of Rome, Slonimer, and the dynasty of Slonim is penetrating to our veins. And I, I, uh, I can't go a, a Shabbos without some kind of an Ishbitzer Mahalach, whatever it is. I'm mainly speaking about Chabad and Breslov because for people that are coming in, it's usually, generally speaking, probably one of the two. I, I don't know of a, of a Givaldic vision, it's Kiruv movement. Or, or, you know what I mean. Anyway, so the Shaila is Azai. The Shaila is like this, because there's a kina sofrim that many of us have to people that grew up with a certain mahalach and they really don't need anything else. Like they, they posh it, don't need. They, they don't need anything else. There's a kina sofrim. That means, how do you say kina sofrim in English? Uh, healthy jealousy? I don't know. Envy, I don't know, a proper midah of jealousy. But because today you can't go and stand online for dollars on Sunday. I mean, you could, but you might have to go see a doctor afterwards. But And, and also, the whole Indian in Breslov is there never was a, a Rebbe that succeeded, so you have to kind of like connect to that vort. It seems to many of us that once upon a time, it really was about one Mahalach, one Rebbe, one Derech, one Nasach. But maybe, perhaps, could it be that the closer we're getting to a Mashiach consciousness, Bichlal and Bifrat, that we shouldn't feel guilty that we need everybody. There's a lot, there's a lot, lot more to this question. There's a lot of different facets to this question. 
I've met people that they came from through Chabad, but at a certain point they felt that they, they want to become not just good Chabadniks, they want to become good Jews. They want to become good Jews. And that's their experience. That's their experience. It's not necessarily how it is by everybody. That was, that's their experience. I'll take this, Shaila, one step further, then I, I would love to hear what you have to say. Um, I was once coming back from the Ukraine, and I met this guy at the airport, this, this Israeli guy, and he said to me, started schmoozing, and he started telling me, I was with 770, Meaning, that to me was one of the lowest comments I've ever heard in my life. Like, do you really, that's, that's what we're talking about? Like, Be'emet? What, what are we talking about? But I think that the, for those that understand the, the, the Shaila, that are in the Parsha of this Shaila, this is a very, very sensitive issue. Because there's a Ratzon, there's a, there's a tremendous Ratzon that when we're in Hadich, nothing else in the world exists. But that's when we're in Hadich. When I'm in Berdichev, nothing else in the world exists. When I'm in Breslov, by Rebnasev, there's nothing else in the world exists. So we would all love to hear a little bit what you have to say on this. Beautiful question. Very beautiful question. As you said, a deep question, a very delicate question, a sensitive question. And probably a question that if not answered correctly, can probably in the past and in the present, has caused different Jews to uh, become alienated in some way. So I'll make, I think, uh, a lot to say, of course, but I think I'll make two points. And again, as I said earlier, the two points are not mutually exclusive. But I'm going to ask us to think about it in a mature and broad fashion. I think you'll understand at least the way I see it, that both of these points are really valid. The first thing we have to say is that all of Torah is ultimately one. We have to always remember that. You know, imagine if Shlomo, you come to me and you say, you know, I have a question. You know, I hear about God when I go to the Aguda and Avenue J. Then I hear about Hashem when I go to the Koilul in Los Angeles. Then I hear about Hashem when I go to Satmer in Monroe. Then I hear about Hashem when I go to Babiv. Then I hear about Hashem when I go to Seventh. Then I hear about Hashem when I go to Bote Ungern, when I go to the Koisel. Which God should I worship? <laughs> we understand the problem with the question, right? What do you mean, which God? I thought there's one God. Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekein Hashem Echad. In Babiv and Satma and Vizhnitz and Ger and Sadiger and Sans and Kloiserburg and Lubavitch and Yeshiva University and by the Litvisha, by the Yeshivisha. There's different gods. They may have different Uschoyas. They may have different Nigunim. They may have different Minhagim. They may have different things that they emphasize. But it's one Hashem. Indivisible. Ayraisa v'kutshabrichu kulechat. Hashem and Torah are one. Just like there's one God, there's one Torah. Torah is expressed in endless facets, endless colors and hues and dimensions. The rainbow of Torah is infinite. But it's one Torah. We always have to remember that. If it's real Torah, it's one. It's unified. It's integrated. The achtos of Hashem that comes out through Torah and comes out in Yisrael. It's true with the Jewish people also. 
You know, we have labels. We have differences. There are differences. There's no question. You have different types of neshamas. You have different types of missions. You have different types of characteristics. You have neshamas that come from chesed, from gvura, from teferis. That's why the menorah has eight branches. Aaron HaKoyen and the Beis HaMikdash had to light up every single type of neshama. The Balatanya says, lighting up the neshamas of chesed, of gvura, teferis, the neshamas that are full of love, and the neshamas that are more tight and disciplined, neshamas that are empathetic, the neshamas that are more ambitious, neshamas that are more humble, etc. Every soul has its flame, and but it's one menorah. Miksha achas zahav. The menorah to be harmed out of one piece of gold. So I think that's always important to remember. If you're dealing with real Torah, real Torah, not fake Torah, not camouflage Torah, not pseudo Torah. If you're dealing with authentic Torah, Torah that Moshe brought down on Har Sinai, there's always a oneness there. There's always a oneness. There's a oneness that pervades it. And the deeper we get to that oneness, the deeper we get into the core of Torah, the deeper we could connect with each other, and the deeper we go out of our biases and stereotypes and divisions, because we touch a place of authenticity. That's number one. Number two, a person needs their souls to be alive. So if you have a particular teacher who gets your soul on fire, you stay there. Very important. You have to find your neshama, you have to find your soul. You have to find yourself. Lech lecha, lech lecha. The Al-Sheikh writes, you have to go to yourself, you have to go to your sherish and neshama. Sometimes you go to a certain Rebbe, a certain teacher, a certain Sefer. Today, I guess you could say a certain website. <laughs> I don't know if you're allowed to say that, but you go to a certain website, a certain podcast, a certain podcast, and you say, this man or this woman gets my neshama on fire. I feel happy. I feel, I feel, I feel powerful. I feel divine. I feel elevated. I feel inspired. That's your place. That's your place. You have to be able to feel infused by vitality and by life, by spiritual life and vitality. And let's face it, the Balatanya writes this in the introduction to Tanya. He says, there are books that speak to one soul and they don't speak to another soul. Other books speak to that soul and then don't speak to another soul. He asks it about himself. Is it possible to include in my safer advice that would speak to every soul? Because by definition, different messages speak to some people in an incredible way. I once had, I was at Alagba Oimer Kumsitz, I'll never forget it, it was very humbling. And a young man came over to me and said these words, he said, you know Rabbi Jacobson, people rave about you. They say you're great, you're amazing, your presentations are inspiring. I want to tell you something, you have nothing to say to a person like me. I tried to listen to you a few times, irrelevant there's nothing in any of your messages that speaks to any part of me. <laughs> and I have to say, I started to laugh. And I said, just give me a hug. Give me. <laughs> I need a hug, the person who could tell me, you have nothing to say to me. There's nothing in your words that have anything meaningful, meaningful to say to me. It was very interesting to hear. And he was actually very, he's a very, I know him, he's, He's an honest person, and he wanted to say, so I say, why are you sharing this with me? He says, you should know that. Don't think, don't think that when you speak, everybody is interested. Some people, it means nothing. He says, it's good for you to know. 
And you know what? It was good for me to know. It was very good for me to know. Then we spoke for three hours afterwards. Because, you know, I asked, I, I want to know what does touch you? What does touch you? And he shared some interesting things. It was, it was, and I had, and I started to incorporate those things too, so I can get to him as well. But in any case, it's so important to understand that and to respect that. And not to think that one person could say something that relates to everybody. That's why Torah is so diverse. After saying this, which I hope people understand, but people have to really take to heart, I think, I'm going to say one more point. And that is, I was sitting Friday night, and I had a lot of uh, yeshiva boys, and many of them dabble in different Hasidic texts. Like you mentioned, Ishbitz and Breslov and Chabad, and other students of the Baal Shem Tev, and Svas Emes, and Teira Semes, and Eir HaMeyer, Kedushas Levi, Noyem Elimelech, they knew, like, you know, they, they dabbled in different and somebody, somebody asked me, he said to me, and he said, uh, I hear in your shiurim you quote from a lot, a lot of diverse svarim. I went to other Chabad people who teach, they don't. They just stick, stick to the text. See, he asked me, is this a weakness in you or a strength in you? <laughs> because you don't fully accept Chabad? Or it's a strength in you? Interesting question, the boy. I said, why are you asking? He says, I want to know if I should emulate you or I should reject you. You see, people are sometimes very blunt. He says, should I emulate you or should I reject you? I like the question. It was a good question. And I'll tell you what I told him. And that's my, 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 my third point that I wanted to make here. And that's as follows. I said, there's no question. And I say this as a very serious student of the Balatanya, very serious student, who had the schus of teaching his Torah now for 20 years, after learning them myself for many years from great teachers. There's no question the Balatanya had a very, very developed shita. And it's a shita. It's a shita in Yiddishkeit, meaning it's a mahalach. And anybody who knows anything about Balatanya, it's always about wholesomeness. He's the author of Shulchan Aruch Harav. He's the author of Tanya. He wrote a Nusach of Davening. He instituted new types of mikvahs, and new types of knives for Shechita, a new Nusach in Davening, a Shita in Chsidis, a Shita in Learning. Because for the Balatanya, there was this sense of synthesis and integration. He synthesized Meir Nevuchim and the Arizal, probably the first one in history, to really synthesize Jewish philosophy and Jewish mysticism, which were two streams that were not synthesized before. He synthesized the Balshemtiv and the Magid with not only Kabbalah, but with Jewish philosophy and with Chachma Bina Das and with Nigla. Nigla and Nistra had to be completely one. So you're dealing here with a very, very thought out and developed shit. And to quote Rabbi Soloveitchik, who nobody will accuse of being a Chassid, he was a Litvak, he was a Soloveitchik. And he said this Yat Kislev 1969 publicly. He said, and I quote Rabbi Soloveitchik, Rabbi Yosheber Soloveitchik, that since the Rambam, there was no intellectual in Judaism like the Balatanya. Since the Rambam, there was no Ish HaSeichel, an intellectual giant in Judaism to encompass the full gamut of wisdom like the Balatanya. This is from a Soloveitchik, a grandson of Reb Chaim Soloveitchik. So there's no question when you learn the Balatanya well, very well. And I don't mean learning it just superficially. 
it takes a lot because it's very deep stuff. But if you learn, and there's, you know, there's 50, 60 svarim to learn. It's not, uh, it's not 20 pages to learn. And each sefer you could sit on for 20 years. Between Torah, Lakota, Torah, all is my marim, his tanya, just in my marim. There is a very, very fully developed shita. So here is what I told this boy, and I think that it's, I mean, I, I find this to be very true, and that is, there are people who nash from everybody, I'm going to be blunt, they're wonderful people, but they never really mastered anything. They just avart here, avart here, avart here, avart here. I feel in my life, and I can't speak for anybody else, if you really, really get into the Balatanya, there's a full shitta there, full developed shitta. And just like, yeah, when you're dealing with a full and wholesome shitta, it's not just easy to go nashe, go nashe, let me compliment. You could compliment things when they're not wholesome. When something is very wholesome and penetrating, it's very hard to compliment. So here comes the question, and there are really two streams today. There are those who initially don't really have strong commitment to one or the other. I'll take from here, I'll take from here, I'll be inspired by here, inspired by here. And you know what? For many people, that may work for them, and that's fine. In my life, I know that there's no question that my shita, what speaks to my soul in the deepest way, is the derech of the Balhatanya. However, because it's one Torah, I find everywhere, in all of Chassidus, and in all of Torah, in Svarim of Musa, and Svarim of Philosophy, and Svarim of Kabbalah, and all the Svarim, I find so many amazing nuggets and insights that sometimes give a certain way of saying something, or connecting it to a certain story, or a certain posik or a certain mitzvah, or capture the truth in one way or another way. So in that sense, I find them all to be so powerfully refreshing. So what I know in my life is, I always try to make sure that I'm anchored in what I find to be uh, an incredibly deep and sophisticated approach to Judaism, which is the encompassing view of the Balatanya, and the successes all the way to the Rebbe. When I find myself anchored in that space... I am never hesitant of quoting and enjoying and growing and being inspired from all types of svarim because I think that they all have a tremendous, tremendous, infinite richness. And I said, ultimately, the Torah is one. So I really, you know, I cannot tell anybody else what to do and how to find their fire. But I know that to find a shita, for me, that synthesizes all streams of Torah, and science, and physics, and psychology, and cosmology, and Kabbalah, the way the Balatanya did it, all the way down to the Rebbe, the seven generations of Chabad, I have not found that anywhere. And that's why that really ignites my soul. And that's where I'm very, very firmly anchored, anchored that approach, that passion. However, I feel that whenever you're anchored in real Torah strongly, then everything is part of it. Because again, the rainbow of Torah is infinite. And when I read the Ishbitzer, and I read the Ishbitzer often, and I read Reb Nachman, and I learn other Svarim, you mentioned Reb Nachman, Breslov, or other Svarim, I see Lakute Mahara. I read it, and I see, ah, wow, that is an incredible, incredible nitzutz, an incredible, incredible insight that is so powerfully inspirational. But I know that in my life, it brings me back to the place where I am, I would say, maybe mostly anchored in, which is in the Shitta 
of the Balatanya. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think we can have a bring in on, on this Nakuda for a few Gilgulin. Um, and, uh, and that's very, very special. That's very, very special. I, I, I have to say to all the Hever that are with us right now, um, it's kind of like we built up for to the whole, the whole every night of Nigunim and Tayyaz, because there's Hanukkah this night, this night for us here in Eretz Yisrael, but it really shine here. You're Erev Hanukkah, wherever you are in the world. The Svarim speak about this night being, uh, this day being as much as the Hanukkah is Me'ala Teva, Shmini is always Me'ala Teva. And uh, we're, we're open to receiving things and hearing things that are beyond our natural Teva. So therefore, a lot of the Torahs that you're saying, uh, Rabbi Jacobson, they're, they're really, they're stimming. They're stimming in a place that usually isn't accessible unless it's like a Hanukkah, like you know. You know the word from the Chidush Harim. There's a beautiful word from the first Gary Rebbe, the Chidush Harim. Really something special. He says, it says, Shma b'ni Musar avicha v'al titesh teresimecha. So he says, why by avicha, your father, it says, listen to his Musar. And by your mother, it says, don't abandon the Torah of your mother. Why the difference? So he says, Musar avicha is the Musar that your father teaches you growing up. Teresimecha is the Torah you learned in your mother's womb. So he says, Shema b'ni Musar avicha. You have to listen to your father's Musar. But v'al titesh, don't let go of Teresimecha. That's already inside of you. Nobody has to teach it to you. You learned it in the womb of your mother. You learned the whole Torah. But just don't let go of it. Al titesh Teresimecha. And that's not Musar. That's the Torah. That's the lessons that are ingrained in your DNA from the, your mother's womb. So I always tell my students, when you're sitting at a shir, how do you know that it's real Torah? How do you know that it's real Torah? I said, I'll tell you how. If you know that everything this person is saying, you already knew. If everything this person is saying you already knew, then it's real Taita. Because if it's real Taita, you learned it in your mother's womb. If it's not real Taita, you didn't learn it. When you're hearing real Taita, it may be challenging, but it's something you already know, because you heard it already in the womb. It's Taita Simech. It just resonates in a deep place. It may shock me, it may startle me, it may challenge me, it may uh, get me, you know maybe rattle up my nefesh, my Yitzhahara a little bit, or my, my trauma, that's fine. If it, rat, you know, if it shakes me up, but I know it. Deep down, I'm like... That's, yeah. uh, that's exactly how I feel about Nigunim. You knew it, you knew it. I, wait, wait a second, I never heard this Nigun before, but I, I, I know this. I, I knew this Nigun my whole life. Actually, you know the metaphor. It leads me, yeah. It's a beautiful metaphor of Reb Hillel of Parish. Reb Hillel of Parish was a chassid of the Balatanya and the Mitler of the Tzamach Tzadik. He once said something so special. He said, he said that there was a man who heard a niggin and he just melted. It was incredible. And he was singing it over and over and over. And then he left the place and he forgot the niggin. And he was thirsting to hear the niggin. So he went back to that location looking for the person. He couldn't find them. So he went everywhere in the world looking for the person. Anyone who sang, he says, sing me a niggin, sing me a song, sing me a song. And everyone sang beautiful songs, and he said, they're beautiful, but it's not the niggin. It's not the niggin. And he said, the neshama, the soul, is a chelik elikami mal. Its niggin is ain't soif, infinity. But then it leaves heaven, it comes into this world, and it forgets the niggin, and it searches everywhere. 
everywhere. So we go skiing, we go to the movies, we develop all types of interests and curiosity, we travel the world, we get new gadgets, we read books, we're trying to hear the nigan. And there's nice nigunim out there, but it's, it's not that nigan. Pillow said, and then when you hear the nigan of Ein Saif, you say, ah, that's the nigan. So that's Be'erich, that's Be'erich, the question, a question that came in was that Rabbi Jacobson, which nigan takes you to that place? This, I, I don't, I, 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 I don't, maybe I'm supposed to have an answer to this, but I can't say that I have one fixed nigan. I think in, I think different moments, different days, another nigan, uh, a different nigan uh, affects me in different ways. Uh, there is, I think, uh, you know, there are the nigunim that are, are timeless classics that always touch me, but sometimes different, uh, different moments, different regoyim. I do find generally that there are two types of nigunim. There are nigunim that I would say, are inspiring, but they're more superficial. And then there are nigunim that are deeper and they're harder to be inspired by because you have to be in a much more authentic place. There are nigunim, that I call them microwave nigunim. They make it hot and they make it fast. And they're good, they're geschmack. When you're in katnos hamoichen, you know, when you're in the shower maybe. But then there are nigunim that they're not so superficial and you have to really work harder to get their message. But when you're in a deeper place, they really, they get to the etzim, they get to, they get to the core. So I, you're leaving me no choice but to sing a nigun that describes exactly what you just said right now. It, it's not a microwave nigun. This is not a microwave nigun. It's probably the, the nigun that continues to rip open, uh, rip open my neshama. I would love to sing it together, no pressure, but we could sing this nigun together. Oh, Oh, ye na na ma ya ma o, oh ye na na ma 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 Did it die? Yay, Ya 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 
It's an amazing niggin. In fact, when you asked me what's my favorite niggin, I was thinking, should I mention this niggin? Because it's certainly one of my one of the deepest nigunim that touched me. And then you started to sing it. It's called the Paltava niggin. It comes from a city called Paltava, which is in the Ukraine, not far from Hadic. And it was composed by a man named Rabbi Yaakov Mordechai Bez Pelov. Yaakov Mordechai Bez Pelov. He's known as the Paltava Rav. He was the rabbi of the community in Paltava. He was a very, very profound and deep Jew, a Chabad Chassid. And he used to daven in the morning with this nigan. He would daven shachris, and in the middle of davening, this was his nigan. You would hear him, you know, there were Chassid, and they would daven very long every morning, and there was a lot of nigunim in the davening. Different words they associated with different nigunim. It was just like, you know, talking to Hashem, you know, just pouring out their soul. And this was this was his nigan, the Paltaver Rav's nigan. So it's called, it's known as the Paltaver nigan, the Paltaver nigan. And uh, it's, uh, it tells such a powerful story, such a powerful story of of the journey, the, the journey of an Ashama, the journey of an Ashama. Yeah, when you said, and you kept on saying, Taira Simecha, Taira Simecha. You hear this nigga and Tayasimacha. No, what's left? We could we could fool around with microwaves all day long, but this is this is that, that, that see so that's also in life. It's it's important. You spoke about you know people choosing different paths. It's like sometimes you just you know you touch the nuclear energy, and when you feel the nuclear energy, like the source of of the energy, there's, there's no going back. The same is true in Chassidus. Chassidus. You know, it's, there, there's so much out there. And then sometimes, you know, you feel that this just touches you in your deepest core. And, and don't go away from that. Accumulate, learn, grow, grow, grow more. But if this is really revealing your deepest oneness with the essence of everything... That's your place. <laughs> That's your place. You, you don't have to doubt it because that 
doubting after that is coming not from strength, it's coming from weakness. In other words, if, if a certain if a certain person's neshama or a certain person's teachings manage to ignite my soul in the deepest way and I find all my violin's chords, all my neshama's chords are playing, lechol, anikinor l'shirayich, right? I'm a harp for your melody, Yehuda Levi, before Yerushalayim Shalzahav, Yehuda Levi says, you know, if you find that all the strings are, are, are playing in your neshama, then this is the this is the nigan, <laughs> this is the nigan, you know, and 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 all the other nigunim you hear will, will will intensify the nigan and will allow it to resonate further and deeper. But don't uh, don't run away don't run away from your teresimecha don't run away from your nigan, and 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 I find we live today in a world where people are searching, they're yearning, that what's my nigan? What's my nigan? I said the other night. I said, what is love? Somebody once said, what is love? Love is learning the song of someone else's heart and singing it to them when they have forgotten it. So I I, I bless all of you and myself that we should have the courage to learn the song in our own hearts and also learn the song in other people's hearts and to sing it to them when they have forgotten it. People today are searching for their niggin. What's my niggin? Sing me my song. Sing me. Shirul Hashem Shir Chadash. Shirul Hashem Bechaya Azam Lakai Biyaydi. And Avas Yisrael love means learn the song in people's hearts and sing it to them when they might have forgotten it. Don't stop singing it to them. But I guess to be able to sing to people their songs, you also have to know your song so that you could sing to people their people their songs. Well, so really, I, I, uh, that, that's, that's very much, I, I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm telling you already right now that I may butcher that word, but I'm probably going to be using it every single time the Ebershter lets me open my mouth in public again. So I'm just saying, and I'll be B'Shem Oimre, but the Shechita of the word will be on my account. Don't worry, <laughs> but <laughs> that, that, that was unbelievable. I have, I have, uh, I have a message from my father. He just texted me and he said, please tell Rabbi, J- uh, Rabbi Jacobson that you are the, um, you are the Hasidish Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. So I have to tell Abba that, that that's definitely true. And Rabbi Sachs was the British Hasidish Rabbi Jacobson. So it, it's high nuach. It's all, it's all one. You know, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs was a great man. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs was a great man. And he lit up, he, 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 he imparted a great light to the world. And this Hanukkah, I think the Jewish world misses him. Uh, he was a great light to the world. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. Here's, here's a, here is an interesting man who grew up in left-wing universities. And to a certain extent, he maintained, you know, his education throughout his entire life. And yet he became such a pillar of faith and, and light to so many. Really, it's, Something everybody could learn from. Just to, to finish off a word from the Svasemes. Please. Svasemes says, why is it, the Gemara says that the way Hanukkah was instituted, that everybody should light the menorah outdoors, not indoors. And yet, he says, throughout history, more and more Jews were lighting the menorah indoors, either by the window or by, uh, by, uh, by one of, in one of the rooms at the side of the mezuzah, parallel to the mezuzah. 
There are Jews who light it outdoors, but most Jews light it indoors. He said, how did that happen? So he says that the Kajnitzamagid, the Helika Kajnitzamagid said something beautiful. He said, the point of Hanukkah is to illuminate the world outside. He says, however, as time goes on, we realize that sometimes the outside penetrates into the inside. So just taking the light outside doesn't do the trick. Because the outside is not always outside. The outside is inside. So he says, we started to light the menorah inside because we have to realize that the way to change the world is by changing yourself. If you really light up your own life, you light up your mind, you light up your heart, you light up your trauma, your toxicity, your wounds, your scars, your insecurities, your fears. That's the outside. That comes from chutz. It doesn't come from your panemius. Your panemius is always holy. But the outside is toxic. You light that up, you bring the light over there, then ultimately you light up the whole world. So I have, I have this, this one last Shaila, and this is going to be the easiest Shaila of the night. Uh, Bemet, the easiest Shaila of the night. And, and with that, we'll let you go to, to, <laughs> to, bench, uh, to bench Hanukkah. Um, if there was one thing that you would want people to know about you or about something that you feel, while you're in a state of being mashpia, while you're talking, while you're teaching, what would it be? This is Simple the easiest shayla. Yeah, this is the easiest shayla. <laughs> it's a great question, and uh, I think the most authentic answer to that is that if I am really in a state of being mashpia, if I am really in a state of being mashpia, remember there's two ways of being mashpia. One is I'm being mashpia, and I want people to like me. In other words, I'm not being mashpia, I'm being makabal. <laughs> I'm giving because I want to get. That's not mashpia. Then I have to work on my own self-esteem issues. But if I'm really, really being mashpia, then I don't exist. So thinking what the people should think about me already means I'm not in a state of hashpa. I'm in a state where I need to do, I need to work on my therapy, on my own self-esteem. When I'm in a real state of hashpa, then I don't exist. Because the real mashpia is a conduit for the infinite light to be channeled through them and go to the people. The Magad of Mizrich has an amazing Torah. It's a night of Nigunim. So this is a Torah it's 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 an incredible title. The Maggid of Mizrich says as follows. We just had his yard site, Yat Kislev. The Maggid of Mizrich says, Elisha says, Khuli Menagin. Bring me a Menagin in order to be inspired. As the Nagain started to be Menagin, the presence of Hashem dwelled on him. What's Vayihi Kenagin Hamenagin? So the Maggid of Mizrich says the menagin is the singer. Nagin, vayihikin nagin hamenagin. When the menagin becomes the nigin that he sings. When the menagin is transformed and metamorphosized, it's not anymore a singer singing a nigin. Vayihikin nagin hamenagin. The menagin becomes the nigin. His very identity is just a conduit, a channel for the nigin to flow through him. Then, Hashem. Then the Shechina could dwell on him. Because the ego, the I, doesn't create any more a barrier to obstruct the flow of energy.
I know that in my life, when I'm communicating, and the menagin becomes the nigin, that's when miracles happen. But at those moments, there's no I. There can't be an I, because if there's an I, then there's, the nigin is being obstructed. Because the nigin is the nigin of Einoid Movada, it's the nigin of oneness. So when the menagin becomes the nigin, that's when everybody feels the presence of God. In our language, we, we say, you are a gewalt, in a good way. You are, you are, you have, you, it, not you, whatever just happened right now. Whatever just happened right now. The right? nigan, the nigan is a gewalt. The, the nigan, the nigan's a gewalt nigan. Shlaim, I once asked. I once, I'll tell you a gavaldik. I once asked a great musician. He played in Carnegie Hall, pianist, and I said, "How do you know that you're in the middle of a success story? You're playing the piano, there's thousands of people listening and watching. How do you know that you hit the jackpot? How do you know? You say this was good." You know, every, every, every performer knows. You know, you come out of a performance and you're like, this was a home run. This was, uh, it passed. You know what he said? He said, I know that it was successful when in the middle of the performance, I cease to exist. And all I experience is that the music is flowing through me. And there's absolutely no self-consciousness. I'm successful. I'm not successful. I could have been successful. I'll be more successful. I am amazing. I'm incredible. The moment there's no I, there's just the music flowing through my fingers, that's success. And he was mechaven. He was somewhat mechaven to this vart of the Magad. And it's, it's one of the great truths in life. It's a paradox. Somebody once asked the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, in Yiddish, Vi filter zich. How are you feeling? But in Yiddish it's actually translated as, How are you feeling yourself? Vi filter zich. So on the spot he says, As me zich is shenish gut. If you start feeling the self, you know when you start feeling your body? If you feel your hands, it means you got a scratch. If you feel your head, it means you have a headache. How do you know you're healthy? After a two-hour workout, yeah, you don't feel yourself. You're light. You're just a conduit for the neshama. So he said, "As zich is Now it's very hard to get out of that. That's why we drink. That's why people become addicted. They're trying to get out of themselves. But that's the whole avoid, the whole avoid of, of of real Yiddishkeit, of real chassidus, is to be able to become the nigan, to let go, and to let the the shechina flow through you. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be able to share our nigunim with our beloved sisters and brothers in Eretz Yisrael and the world over. And Afrelechen Zayis Chanukah to each and every one of you, my love and blessings. Zayisant, everyone. Good yantas. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.